Hey, Prayerfully Woke family, Jonathan here. I come to you today with a heavy heart. A heavy heart because of what's been happening in our nation, not just in the last two weeks, but over the last some 300 years. Racial inequality is alive and well. And as Will Smith said, it's not that racism is on the rise. It's just now that it's being filmed. So we see it. We see it with our own eyes. We take it in, we ingest it, and it makes us sick to our stomachs. What can we do? I wish I had all of the answers. I do not. As a pastor, my first response is to say to pray. But I know that true prayers, true compassion, and true love always calls us to action. So I think it's important to stand and to speak the names of those who have been affected and those who have even been killed. Amar Arbery and George Floyd. These two men started their day not knowing it would be their last. But because of racism, because of hatred, their lives ended way too soon. Two men fearfully and wonderfully made by God, made in the image of God, a God who still loves them. Their blood with the blood of Abel and all those killed, murdered unjustly, cries out to a God who hears and answers. So our prayer as believers is that one day God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for now, God calls us to action. Not only do we need to let our voice be heard, but we need to open up our ears to the cries of the less fortunate, those that know what it's like to suffer under racism. I know that I live in white privilege. I confess that and I can see that, but I should use the platform that I have to lift those around me. Today, I don't think that we could do any better than to allow your ears to hear Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Sure, you know some catchphrases and some highlights of that speech. But allow the 17 plus minutes of truth that Dr. King speaks enter into your soul and into your spirit and change you from the inside out. Dr. King could still give this speech today because the same racial inequality that he faced almost 60 years ago is still all around us. So allow the truth to sink into you, but also allow it to push you to action. Allow the truth of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech to give you better dreams for the people around you. So remember, pray, speak the names of the victims, stand in solidarity with those that are suffering, and work to do better not only in your own life, but in your community, in your state, 
in our nation. This time I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity 100 years later. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, 
would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time <laughs> to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time <laughs> to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negroes' legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. <laughs> there will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom 
by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. 
knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And this will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrim's pride 
from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Now I can hear you. Okay, cool. All right, well, prayerfully woke listeners, um, I hope that you enjoyed that speech as much as I did. Uh, that speech was stunning, uh, absolutely riveting in every way. Uh, Jonathan, I just want to ask you, first off, what are some of your reactions right off the bat from listening to uh, Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech? Well, the first is shame that I don't think I've ever before last week listened to it in its entirety. Only mm-hmm. ever, you know, heard clips of it or uh, read quotes uh, from it. And probably the second thing that stands out is 60 years later, how much of the injustice that we're still fighting. You know, we like to think that we're making progress and maybe in some ways we have but in some of the most important ways we have not. And so those are the two things that stick out to me, uh, personal shame and how relevant uh, his words and warnings are still to us today. Absolutely. Like, um, I think one of the things in there, there's a couple things that stood out to me because um, I just listened to it just a couple of minutes ago, and, and I'm like, you, I, I don't know why I didn't listen to it before. Well, I do know why because, you know, in schools and stuff like that, it's not really – something that's propagated around and and it's you know just not something that I ever sat down to do but I'm glad I did because um he, he mentions in there uh he he mentions in there priest police brutality you know he yeah, mentions right. he mentions in there um how the the black people are treated in the streets how they they feel like they can't go anywhere he he says uh you know I have a dream of a day where um a Negro can move not just from a smaller ghetto to a larger one, you know, right. but to live a life that's that's flourishing. Um, yeah, so I that I, I was like you whenever I listened to it. So my my reactions as a white person was like, man, like this thing. These are things that are still going on. It's like you said, have we made progress? Yes, but not enough. 
not enough. You know, whenever things like this are still happening, we've got to go back to things like this and uh, re-envision what does the future look like for us now. Yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like um, I, I know that there's been racial tension in between 1963 and now, but it seems like uh, I thought that the wound was healing and really there was just a, a small scab over it. The wound is still there and there are things that still need to be healed. There are deep-rooted issues. There's deep infection in the wound that was yeah. never allowed to be poured out so that it can be healed. My prayer is that um, it's able to be poured out, that 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 infection is able to ooze out. I know that's a disgusting illustration, but this is a disgusting time. And uh, prayerfully, that is able to finally have the antibiotic ointment mm -hmm. of, of healing and justice and restoration put into it so the wound can finally heal. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's the work that needs to be done. You know, I feel like a lot of people, especially in the areas where around where we live, a, a lot of people want to put this subject on the back burner. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to face the realities of what's there. But it, as you said, if we want to uh, heal the wound, we've got to have discussions. We've got to have conversations, which is why, you know, we're attempting to have this conversation today and why we're also attempting to get um, um variant black voices on the podcast because you know we know that our perspective is limited as two white men you know we know that uh, we can only talk about it in, in a certain light we don't have the perspective you know I think that Jonathan a lot of why white people have been so resistant against this in past years is because we have a terrible we have a terrible sense of empathy terrible sense of perspective you know we don't we don't like to put ourselves in the other person's shoe you know um, but there's a really famous clip by uh, Jane Elliott where she's she's like talking to like it looks like a college um, auditorium of people, and you know she says, if any of you in here would like to trade your lifestyle for the lifestyle uh, for a life of American or African American citizen, please stand up. And obviously nobody stands. And she says, I don't think you heard me. If you would like to trade your life for um, that life of an African-American citizen here in America, then stand up. And nobody stands. And she says, nobody around here is standing, which means that you obviously know what the problem is, but you don't want to do anything about it. Why would you allow out for somebody else if you don't want it for yourself? It's a very powerful 45-second clip. We'll link it in the show notes down below. Um, I say all that to say this, that a lot of Americans know what's going on. We know that African Americans, uh, and not just them, um, but that's kind of the, the the focus right now in the culture. You know, African Americans' um, lives are still at a disadvantage. You know, the 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 Dr. Dr. King quotes it in there. The Constitution says that all men were created equal, um, and that's not just something the Constitution says. That's something God says. You know, above all that, you know, and we still have not yet lived up those promises and. Um, we don't like to talk about it because it, I guess it makes us uncomfortable. It, it opens the door to maybe us having to be uh, brought down a little bit. You know, I don't know. Well, the only saving, the only saving grace for uh, Ahmaud Arbery and uh, George Floyd is that their deaths were caught on camera. And I think 
that's where the disconnect maybe has been is that um, we hear about it. We hear stories, but now we're seeing it plainly with our own eyes happen. I mean, yes. in front of us, we're seeing a white man kneel on a black man's neck. And so Facebook is a dumpster fire. We, we all understand that. But I read True. somebody, uh, an article going around the other day that you know all those officers that were standing around were uh, complacent and so they had part in in George Floyd's murder uh, true enough uh, but but the 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 article uh, brought out that the, they were all different races of people Latino and Asian um, and I thought well which one of those is supposed to stand up to to the white guy you know, if this this police mm. officer had some 18 complaints about him already, what would their voice have done? The voice of the the crowd gathered around didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, he stone faced knelt there uh, for um, eight or nine minutes. So um, it's a it's a white supremacy, racism. Mm-hmm. It's sick. It's sick yeah, and twisted. Absolutely. And uh, prayerfully, uh, these videos that are surfacing uh, will be a catalyst that can turn uh, turn this nation towards the right way, towards a, a way more leaning towards justice. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Because, because I mean, Ahmaud Arbery's killers were going to get off scot free until the video came out. A I know. Later. Yeah, and that's not well, justice. The same thing would have happened to George. Floyd. If those people didn't have cameras, mm-hmm. he would be dead. His family would know about it. It'd be a blurb on the news, and everybody would forget about it. Yeah. No, you're right, man. You're right. iPhones and you know Androids and all, all, cell phones in general are really a saving grace in this kind of thing. You know, we always, I talk about a lot about how you know they're destroying us in our minds, but in these instances, it's good. It's good that yeah. we're able to get it on on camera because. You know, it, it's terrible, absolutely terrible what's happened, but I guess if there is any silver lining to any of this, you know, I even hate to say it like that, but if there is any upside, I guess you could say, is that these events that have happened are a catalyst for future change. You know, it's a catalyst to move forward um, in the process of, of, of racial, um, I, I hate to even, you know, a uh, person that we're get, trying to get on the podcast, C.C. Jones Davis, um, says it like this. It's not res- racial reconciliation because you can't bring together something that was never together. And right. um, so I, I almost said re- racial reconciliation, but that's not true. It'd just be racial conciliation. Conciliation, yeah. Yeah. But one thing, Jonathan, back to uh, M- MLK's speech that really I thought was good, especially for this podcast, Perfectly Woke, was um, – his use of faith language and scripture that really matters to me you know um i think that whether or not whether or not the christian faith is involved black people deserve freedom yeah but dr king's focus on the on the scripture dr king's focus on his faith really is um you know we had cheryl bridges johns on for the podcast last week we talked about the end you know being filled with the spirit is to be a sign of the end you know dr king when he's delivering that speech is filled with the spirit and he is he is boldly proclaiming 
words that aren't just words for 1963, but words for the end, you know, whenever all things will be justified, whenever God will be all in all, and there will be no racial tensions like this or anything like that. There will be equality. You know, the dream that he has will truly be fulfilled um, when the Lord Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom. So I just really loved his 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 commitment to scripture, commitment to faith. I love whenever he quoted... Um, it's uh, in John uh, chapter, I believe it's two or one. Whenever John the Baptist is quoting to the to the Pharisees, he says every valley will be exalted and every high place will be decimated. That that uh, use of scripture I thought was very powerful. And uh, just so just as you know, pastors and stuff, I believe that's very important uh, because I do think this is the last thing I'll say. I do think that we can get into a mentality, um, and I've never been here, so I'm really treading lightly with what I'm about to say. But people who are fighting for freedom, th- there can be a route to um, beget violence with more violence or to beget hatred with more hatred. And I believe that uh, the only way, as Dr. King said, you know, the only way that we can drive out hatred is with love. And so um, I just love that. I love his commitment to that. Yeah. So one, number one, you know, uh, I grew up in circles that claimed that this was a Christian nation built on biblical principles well there's a there's a biblical principle borne out twice in the new testament that says that in christ there is neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female but all are made one in christ that is a biblical principle that this country has never lived up to uh the second thing that you said i was going to bed last night and i mean i i was stepping towards my bed and i'd been watching the news and you know, there's a lot of violent protests right now. And the the last image in my mind was this Adidas store in, um, I think it was Los Angeles, getting ransacked. And, you know, if I was going to take shoes, I'd find a Nike store. But they were at this Adidas store. And, um, and they were just carrying out boxes and boxes of shoes. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's senseless. I think that that does more harm than good. Uh, toward the cause of justice and, and for George Floyd's uh, memory. But as I stepped towards bed, uh, I believe it was the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to my heart and said, this is what a fatherless generation does. So then I couldn't sleep, and I laid awake for the next hour and a half looking up um, statistics on uh, fatherlessness in this generation. And there's something like 23 million young people that don't have a father figure in their life. And so we need godly men. We need godly principles. We need godly people to stand up for what is right. And it needs to begin at home. And we need to train our children what's right and wrong. We need to mm-hmm. train our children what justice is. We need to train our children what injustice is. Um, we need to allow our children to watch some of these videos that are going around. And we need to have good discussions with them about what God has to say about uh, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Um, And uh, so I think it begins uh, a lot at home and then um, spurs out from there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we need to raise up a new generation uh, that knows what justice is and knows how to react when injustice happens. Mm -hmm. Um, All that to say that I don't condone uh, those violent protests. Uh, but how do we expect them to know any different if there's no one to teach them right from wrong? Yeah, no, I agree, man. I agree. And 
yeah, it's just there's so much there's so much there's so much about it, man. There's so much about it that it, I just you mentioned it earlier, but Facebook is a cesspool. You know, everything that you're you're saying, like if you were to post that on Facebook, like there would be like thirty thousand comments, and they'd all be fighting with one another. You know, there's just so much of a time of time of hatred and a time of division. And I believe it's what you said. It's because people don't really know better, you know. Yeah. Um, as the Black Eyed Peas eloquently said, you know, what's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mama. And that's true. You know, people just, I guess, don't learn respect these days. These kids these days, and no, I'm just kidding. No, but I will say this. Yesterday here in our, um, well, in, in St. Joseph, Missouri, there's, you know, 75,000 people at the last census. Um, I'm driving around the corner. And I see a protest of uh, peaceful protest of of people holding signs of George Floyd, I can't breathe, yada yada. And as you know, I'm driving by. Every single one of them had got to be under the age of forty. Every yeah. single one of them. And it seems to me that the demands for justice, the demands for change, are not coming from the baby boomers, or not coming from people who are getting ready to cash in the retirement check. And not that they don't. Not I'm not saying that they aren't on the side of that cause you know maybe they just don't want to get out but what i am saying is that people my age people my generation are tired of of the status quo and they want to change they want renewal so absolutely yeah um last thing i'll say is in there he 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 mentioned uh america you know life liberty pursuit of happiness and he said, and this is funny because this is 1960. Donald Trump has not wasn't even around yet, but he said, "This is well, what will make." Um, he was all, he was alive because he was, was a little little, years, little baby. He's about a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, but <laughs> Dr. King quotes all these things about you know what the nation needs to do, and he says, "When America fulfills these promises, they will be truly great." Mm-hmm. You know, the Donald Trump and the people that follow him would. Um, be happy and they think America is great whenever the rich get richer and uh, uh, the, especially the people who follow him you know whenever uh, the white man's in power whenever all these things but when America's truly great is whenever um, there is diversity whenever there is the forcing of minorities whenever there's all of these promises are fulfilled and people can truly pursue happiness and uh, liberty in life you know so, I don't know. I don't know all the answers, Jonathan. I truly don't. But I think that more conversations like this, more conversations that have awakened in the midst of this, um, you know, troubling incident, more conversations like this, I believe, uh, will change the world for the better. Yeah, we need to learn how to talk and we need to learn how to listen. Mostly learn how to listen. Yes, absolutely. Well, Perfectly woke listeners, we thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we hope you like the speech. We hope that you like this. is obviously a different kind of episode, but we felt that it was necessary uh, to put out there. Um, because in light of these current events, we we need reflection. We need contemplation. You know, we we talked about that in a couple episodes on the podcast about the power of contemplative prayer and and things of that nature. Um, we need that right now in this moment to be still before God and to allow Him to speak to our hearts on what we can do. Uh, to bring change, you know, because the prophet Micah brilliantly said, you know, what does the Lord require of you? 
but to do justly, to love mer- mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so that's uh, what God requires of us, requires, you know, requires of us in this moment. And so that's what we're seeking from the Lord. Jonathan, any other thoughts? No. Um, find Find someone you can serve and serve them, no matter what their color is. Um, find somebody that you can serve. Some Find somebody that you can show love to. Find somebody that's marginalized, whether it's because of their race or because of their social status, uh, and serve them and love them. That's what Jesus did as he walked this earth. Mm-hmm. Amen. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, podcast listeners, we appreciate you for listening. We appreciate you for tuning in, as always. Faithful Prayer for Local Listeners. If you like the episode, like, share, subscribe uh, on iTunes. Appreciate you so much. Peace. Peace.